We are, well, let me start with, uh, let me start with this. How many of you like people that ignore advice? Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody like that where you, you try to give them some advice because they're struggling with something, or maybe you have been in their situation before, you can see the writing on the wall a little bit, and you're like, hey, I don't know if you want to do that, I don't know if you want to pay, say that, I don't know if you want to make that decision or, or do that thing, I mean, and then they just completely ignore you. The most frustrating is when they ask for your advice, and you give them sound, logical advice, and then they do exactly the opposite, and then exactly what they didn't want to happen, happens. And you go, told you, right? No, you don't say that because you're a Christian. You don't do that kind of stuff. But you want to, right? You want to, you want to do that. You want to say, see, I told you so. And you've probably worked under people who won't take advice. You work, you've probably worked under people and may currently work under somebody that you cannot give them any advice. In fact, if you try to give them advice, they argue with you, they push back, they're not interested, or maybe they know what's going to happen, they just don't care, they're going to do it anyway. And generally, what do we say about those people? Most of the time, we say those people are arrogant. They are arrogant. And we get frustrated because we look, and, and, and you don't like arrogant people, do you? I know I don't. And you certainly don't want to be an arrogant person, right? I know I don't. But these people, that's generally how we think about them. And I know you don't want to be an arrogant person. But more on that in just a second. We're in this series titled Living Your Best Life. And we've learned that living our best life as is, is Jesus followers kind of means maybe something a little bit different than what it does in the rest of the world or in the rest of the context of general culture. We learned in week one that we can't compromise who we are, that we can't compromise who we are and we can't compromise the purpose that God has given us in this life, that we can't allow the culture and the things of the world that's going on, we can't allow that to somehow change who God has called us to be or to change how we behave, that we are to behave a little bit differently and we shouldn't compromise who we want to be for what's enjoyable and pleasurable right now. And then last week, we learned about the importance of living boldly. That if we're going to live our best life, we really need to be living boldly. Not, you know, passively. Not one of those people that, you know, comes to church and hears the faith here for a moment and then goes and acts completely different Monday through Saturday. So we have to live our life and in our faith, we have to live so boldly. And today we're going to talk about something that will probably affect everybody in here, because every one of you is a leader at some point, you're influential at some level, you have some influence at your job, you have some leadership in your position or in your place of, of work or something like that, in your family you have uh, leadership. So you can probably relate to the story we're going to talk about today. And you can relate, and you've probably struggled with this before, you've probably struggled with arrogance before. Now, for those of you that are more seasoned, you've probably experienced that arrogance doesn't serve you well. But for those of us that are my age, we tend to be arrogant sometimes, even so up into the later years. And what we're going to learn today is how if you're going to live your best life, then you need to take that little bit of arrogance or that pride and you need to set it aside. And we're going to see how that plays out today. Our story today honestly starts, we're still in Daniel, but it starts with King Nebuchadnezzar. 
It's not where we're going to end off, but it's going to be where we start. We're going to start with King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. Now, in this chapter, everything we talked about the last two weeks has already happened. So, you know, the tower, or the, uh, you know, Daniel coming and him saying, hey, you need to eat and do these things. He's like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And then, you know, the statue, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. So, or the, the burning pits, like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. So, so we've done through those things. And now King Nebuchadnezzar, he's elevated Daniel. Daniel squared away, super smart, all that stuff. You know, we're there. Um, but then King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And dreams are really important in this culture because that was one of the ways God talked to them, particularly. And then they also would interpret these dreams to understand what it meant for the future or for maybe something they've experienced in the past or currently something they have experienced. And he tried to understand his dream, but he just couldn't. He couldn't get the dream. He couldn't grasp it. He didn't quite understand it. Um, so he just didn't get it. So we're going to start in Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 4. And this is going to be Daniel writing down what Nebuchadnezzar says or what the letters Nebuchadnezzar records. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Everything was going great. And I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. And this dream, uh, in this dream was an enormous tree Okay, so an enormous tree, and all the animals of the earth kind of laid up under the canopy, and it was provided shade for this tree, or from this tree, and it was a very good thing for these animals and everything that was under the tree. But then at some point, a loud voice booms into his dream and says, cut that tree down. And then Nebuchadnezzar's like, wakes up, and he's like, what is going on? I don't understand this. This is a very vivid dream, but I don't know what it means. And then he calls the normal suspects that are going to be able to interpret the dream, you know, his magisters and all those people, pulls them in. He goes, hey, this is what happened. What's going on? And none of them could translate it or none of them would translate it. We're not sure which because maybe they did know what it means. So then he calls Daniel because Daniel's the man. He's done this before. So Daniel, come on in. Tell us exactly what, what this dream is all about. Then Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So he's trying to interpret this dream, and he's praying through it and calling to God. Then his thoughts begin to terrify him. So the king said, I mean, the king had to comfort Daniel when he started to understand this dream. He says, Belshazzar, which is Daniel because he changed his name, do not let this dream or this meaning alarm you, which is basically the king saying, hey, whatever it is, I'm not going to kill you, okay? Because a lot of times if, the, if these people said something the king didn't like, they just kill him. So, so he's like, hold on, Daniel, you're way too valuable. I'm not going to kill you. Just tell me what the dream means. Daniel's like, all right, are you sure? Are you sitting down? Pay attention. And he answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies. It's, it's so, so bad for you. It's not good for, for this. If only the dream had been applied for your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. I mean, I just, king, I wish that the other king would have heard it. I wish that it would have been to him, not necessarily to you. Daniel goes on to explain to the king the dream and explaining the dream and that he will eventually lose his mind and humiliate himself. And he continues, or he, that he will humiliate himself until he acknowledges the one true God. Daniel explains it like this. He said, the command to leave the stump of the tree and its roots, which is what the voice from heaven said, it said, cut the tree away and leave only the stump and its roots. It means that your kingdom will be restored. 
Daniel explains, like, we're going to cut, he's going to cut the tree down and it's going to fall away from you. But it will be restored to you. There's going to be something left. It will be restored to you. When you acknowledge that heaven rules, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed, that it may, that it may that then be your prosperity will continue. He gives him a warning. He says, King, you've been pressing against God a whole lot. You've been resisting God a whole lot, and you've been doing some pretty wicked things as a king, and you're so arrogant about it. You should walk away from that because you, there's, there's still time. God is giving you time. But, King, you need to change the way you're behaving. You need to change the way you're living. You need to, you need to press off of this. So 12 months pass. The king apparently did not listen. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, now is this not the most arrogant thing you've ever heard? Is it not the great Babylon that I have built as a royal residence? He says that he argues that he built the whole city himself, first of all, and then that it's all for him. By my mighty power, listen to the arrogance in this. By my mighty power, and for the glory of my majesty. Hold on a second. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, the voice said. Your authority has been taken from you. Because those of you that don't know your authority on this earth is on loan from, you, from God to you. Your authority in your position in your workplace, your authority in your position in your family, your authority in your position in, your, your, in the church or anywhere else, it's on loan from God. And in this case, the king didn't behave appropriately, and God called the loan. He says, your authority, your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and live with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass for you, by you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on this earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Not you, Nebuchadnezzar. You are not that good. You are not that capable. You are not strong enough, smart enough, fast enough to even come close to running this kingdom. You do it because I allow you to do it. And immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate, like, and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. He lost his mind. In fact, there's a mental uh, disability not necessarily a disability, but a condition where some people believe that they are an animal. They believe that that's probably what happened to Nebuchadnezzar here. And the royal family takes him and tries to hide him in the garden and keep him far away from everybody because the king's crazy now and we don't want people to know the king's crazy now. And then at the end of such time, at the end of that time, the seven times that passed, he said, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, again, we're flipping to his perspective, Raised my eyes towards heaven. So he spent forever in this state. And my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. 
His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar says, I have seen and I know that my authority and everything I have and everything I've worked on and everything I've done is on loan from my heavenly Father. It's on loan from God. And how dare I think that I am capable or that I am the biggest, baddest, and strongest. How dare I even think that I have all the answers. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, pray and exalt and glorify the King of heaven. Because everything he does is right and his ways are just. And those who walk, this is, this is key. Now this isn't going to be on a coffee mug, right? You guys aren't going to want to put this on a bumper sticker. Okay, But this is probably one of the most impactful things that you can hear. He says, and those who walk in pride, I'm good enough, I'm capable, I'm strong enough, I'm here because of me. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And I can tell you from experience that that is the case. God will humble you when you think that you don't need him anymore at all. And here's what we got to realize, and what I need to realize, what we all need to pay attention to, maybe sit up a little straighter for, is that God, the Lord, he's sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over your job. He's sovereign over your family. He's sovereign over your wealth. He's sovereign over your influence. He's sovereign over your company. He's sovereign over your leadership. And a lot of us in the American culture, we want to press back and say, I don't want God to be sovereign over that. I want him to give it to me. Well, he does. You're a steward of whatever that is. He has allowed you to take his influence and exercise it in those positions in which you lead, in those positions in which you stand. That is what you are capable of doing. And that's one of the glories and, and one of the great things we have. But culture will tell you that everything that you have is because of how great you are. And they'll say, you deserve it. You deserve it. Not only, you're so good and you hear it all the time. You're so good, you're so capable, you're so smart, you're so this, you're so that. And if we're not careful, we will get to a place where we don't give God any of the credit. And we'll sit back and we'll act like glory sponges, where a little bit of glory should go to God, and we just go, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine. Now, you would never say that, especially in this place. You would never act that way. You would never say that. But that is what inadvertently happens. Because we sit back and we go, I built this. I did this. I'm capable. Did you see what I did? They called me to fix that team in the company. And I did a great job. Did you see what I did? And now there's nothing wrong with being confident. But if we remember the verse before, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And the Lord will indeed humble. Now, this actually connects to the next story in Daniel. Forty years go by. Forty years go by. King Nebuchadnezzar, he figures it out. After that, he kind of starts, gets his act together. And then 40 years go by, and the next king is King Nabonidus. Okay? King Nabonidus is no King Nebuchadnezzar. He's no King Neb. And now here in Babylon, they got a problem. Because Cyrus the Great targets Babylon, the Persian army. And he says, 
I've heard about the riches of Babylon, and I'm going to go take them because I have the biggest and strongest army. That's how it worked in the ancient days. So Cyrus the Great targets Babylon and says, I'm going to go get what I want. And then King Nabonidus goes out into the plains to meet him to keep him from hitting Babylon. So the king's gone, and as the king is gone, then he sets up his regent, which is Belshazzar, or Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is actually the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, he's put in charge of the city. King Nabonidus goes out and fights the Persians. He gets throttled, okay? He, he's dead. So now Belshazzar is the king, which is great for him, so he thinks except the Persian army is marching down his throat towards Babylon. So Belshazzar prepares the city for a siege, and they weren't worried about a siege because Babylon was known for being impregnable. It was known for, for having these massive walls, and the reason it was impregnable was because the river ran straight through the city. So they could just hide behind their big walls. They would have water, and they would have food. They would ration, but they would make it far more than any standing army outside the walls. So they weren't concerned. And Belshazzar is so arrogant about this that he decides to throw a massive party. Now, I've never defended a city against the Persian Empire. But I have been to combat, and I don't feel like a massive party the night before an invasion is the smartest idea. Now, I haven't tried it, so maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a cheat code, okay? I don't think so. <clears throat> so he throws this massive party, massive party, because he's so arrogant, he's like, they're not going to get through the wall. I mean, come on, this is, this is not going to be a thing. We're not concerned at all. They'll go hungry, they'll starve, and if they stay out there long enough, they'll freeze to death when the winter comes. I'm not concerned about what they're doing. In fact, go ahead, let's throw a party. So he throws a massive party. Remember, he's King Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. He's heard the stories of King Nebuchadnezzar losing his mind, walking around looking like an eagle bird thing because he disobeyed. He, he totally said, I'm the greatest. I'm capable of doing everything that I can do. So here we are. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring the gold, the silver, and goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Which is a problem. Because those were specific to the God that we worship. Those were specific to Yahweh. And they were meant for temple worship, not party time. It would be the equivalent of you taking communion wine and going and getting smashed on it on your birthday party. And all of you got a little bit uncomfortable when I said that, didn't you? Because you're good Christians. You don't do that stuff. Okay? I know you don't. But he's not. He doesn't care. So he's like, hey, go, go get the goblets and the silver and all that. Bring it in here. We are going to get turned up. Let's go. Even though there's an army about to invade us on the outside. But I'm not a good commander, so, you know, here we are. So they brought the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God. Bad decision. In Jerusalem and to the king to his nobles. Now, the reason they even had those was because when King Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem, he took everything out of the temple, and King Nebuchadnezzar just keeps it. He would keep it as part of his trophy room, essentially. That's what he was after. He wasn't after, you know, using it. It was part of his trophy room. Like, look at all the empires I've conquered. 
But Belshazzar's like, no, we're going to disrespect those empires. Bring them in. Here we go. You can feel and hear the arrogance in this guy. And his wives and his nobles and the kings, they all drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold, the gods of silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Daniel's point in writing this is, is this. They took what was meant to praise the Creator and they used it to praise the creation. God has had enough. He was done. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the wall, on the plaster on the wall, which would have given any of us the loss of control of our bowels. <laughs> Telling you right now, if something starts writing on that wall, I'm leaving. I'm not staying. Okay, I'm not reading what it says. I'm not interested because it's bad news bears. <laughs> Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and rode on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. In the middle of the party, giant God hand starts writing on the wall. And the king watched the hand as it wrote because who's not going to watch? His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Of course, I would do the same thing. And he was terrified. And so he says, okay, I, I can't read that language. And wrote, wrote multiple words on there. And Dan, he's like, I, I can't read that language. Somebody, anybody, he looks at all the people in the party and looks at his magistrates and looks at the magicians and goes, can anybody read the writing on the wall? What does it say? And he's like, in fact, if anybody can read it, I'll give them the third highest position in the kingdom. So come on, somebody tell me what it says. And they're all like, nah, dude, we're drawing blanks. I don't know. I don't know. And then the, her, his wife, who apparently, you know, she wasn't invited to the party, or maybe she left the party. She comes in and she hears the, the commotion, or maybe the lack of commotion, because everybody's like jaws on the ground. And she comes in and she goes, honey, 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 don't worry. We got a dude. His name is Daniel. Okay? And he has done these things for your grandfather. Now, Daniel is an old man at this point. Daniel's probably 75, maybe even 80. We believe he lived a long, long time, especially for that day and age. He was a seasoned veteran. And so they call, the, she says, we have Daniel. And he goes, all right, bring Daniel. Come on, Daniel, let's do it. Let's see what's going on. Pulls Daniel in. He goes, Daniel, if you can figure this out, I'll give you all these riches and I'll make you third most powerful in the nation because Daniel had pretty much been forgotten about and relegated to the back. And then Daniel answered the king. He looks up and sees it. He goes, ooh, ro ro raggy. And then he answered the king. He says, no, no, no. You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king, and I'll tell you what it means. Your majesty, the most high God gave your father, which is, he means grandfather. It was the way they used the terms interchangeably. Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position that he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. He was the best because of, the, of what God had given him. Those that the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted spared, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. 
Your, your, your grandfather had great influence. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. When Nebuchadnezzar said, you know what, I'm, I'm good enough. I can do this. If it wasn't for me, this wouldn't happen. I'm the only person that's capable of doing it. The minute he started talking like that, God said, hold on there, big guy. That's not quite right. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He's recounting it for Belshazzar. He's like, did you forget what granddaddy went through? Did you not pay attention when he put you on your knee and explained these things? He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. Remember, he lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like an ox. Don't you remember? And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until, until Belshazzar, until he acknowledged that the Most High was sovereign over all kingdoms, to use his words, on the earth and set, them, set over, over them anyone he wishes. Don't you remember? Come on, you had to have paid attention. You had to have. I mean, I'm sure your granddad told you these stories. I'm sure you heard it from your father. I'm sure this was something we talked about. It became funny joke. Ha ha, remember when granddaddy went crazy, but now he's back, right? Like, I'm sure that you've heard this, Belshazzar, come on. But you, but you, Belshazzar, his grandson, have not humbled yourself. You knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Not a good position to be in. You had the goblets from the temple brought to you, and your nobles, and your wives, and your concubines, and drank from them. You praised the gods of silver, and gold, and bronze, and iron, and wood. You praised the creation, which cannot see, or hear, or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. We have a problem. We have a problem, Belshazzar. You have not paid attention to what was said. Daniel is furious. He walks into the party because he's been called. And he walks into the party and he sees the artifacts of the temple being used. And then he sees the writing on the wall. And he says, you've got a problem. And that he would point at the writing on the wall and he would point and say, you didn't pay attention to what your grandfather went through. But you're going to learn. So keep your gold. Keep your rewards. I'm not interested. I'll tell you what it means. And he points to the wall. And he says, are you sure you want to know? I imagine he looks at him and goes, are you sure? Belshazzar, are you sure you want to know this? Here's what the words mean. Many, which God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Belshazzar, you are unfit for the position that God has given you. You are unfit because you think that you are the Most High. You think you have all the answers. You think you are immovable, unstoppable. Belshazzar, because of your attitude, because you have not humbled yourself, because you have forgot what granddaddy went through, because you're not paying attention, Belshazzar, you are unfit for leadership. Your influence and leadership from God, it was on a loan. And he's called the loan. It's over, Belshazzar. 
Tekel, which means you have been weighted on the scales and been found wanting. Which means you have failed to live up to the expectations that have been set before you because of the influence God has given you. You have failed to live up to the expectations. And we, a lot of people go, well, God doesn't set expectations on us. That is absolutely not true. He, read, read what Jesus wrote, or what Jesus spoke about when Matthew, Mark, and Luke and all those guys wrote. You'll find out that there's an expectation when it comes to being a Jesus follower, and there's an expectation in life. And he says that you've been weighed on the scales and been found wanting. You haven't lived up to the expectation. And the last word was Perez. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and to the Persians. You thought all of this was yours, Belshazzar? You thought you were so great that you could offend the Most High God? You thought you could sit there and go, it's mine, 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 mine. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I make enough money. I'm capable. I'm the best leader. I'm the smartest. I'm the most influential. I'm capable of doing this. Everybody relies on me. Belshazzar, you think you can have that attitude? God has called the loan. And your time has come to an end. The worst part, Belshazzar, I think Daniel would say, the worst part, you knew better. You've seen it. You have seen it. You heard what happened to your grandfather. You should have known. You've experienced this before. But you're so prideful. You're so arrogant. You refuse to see it. You refuse to make changes. My way or the highway is your attitude, Belshazzar. And Belshazzar, the writing is on the wall. You need to read the writing on the wall. You have to pay attention to it. Can't you read it? And all, as all this was happening, as all this was happening, the Persians have made it to the city. They made it to the city instead of trying to siege the walls because they know they're big and impregnable anyway. What they do is they actually start damming up the Euphrates, which is the river that ran through the city. So they begin to, the Corps of Engineers, they, they block the river, which then makes the river inside of the city run dry. Now, they could, sat, they could have sat outside and just waited and starved them out, but instead what they did is they sent a group of operators in, and they go in through the, because the water level dropped low enough for people to go in. These operators went in, and they killed the main guard, the guards at the main entrance of Babylon, and then they swung those massive steel gates open and allowed the Persian army into the city. And Belshazzar's reign came to an end. Belshazzar's leadership and everything he had on loan was called. Everything he said and did was about him. And God had had enough. That very night, text tells us, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, because he became king after Nabonidus died, was slain. And everything God said had come to pass. His pride and his arrogance was his own downfall. And believe it or not, every single one of us, unless you're arrogant, have a little bit of Belshazzar in us. And it's that inner Belshazzar that we fight with all the time. And it's very easy because today's culture and today's world will sit there and tell you, you are great. 
if it wasn't for you, this wouldn't have happened. If it wasn't for you, this. If it wasn't for you, this. You're so capable, you're so skilled, and there's nothing wrong with having confidence, as I said before. However, the minute you stand and you begin doing what King Nebuchadnezzar did, and you look and go, look at all these amazing things I've done. And the minute you stand in defiance like Belshazzar had done, you set yourself up against the God of heaven. And I don't know about you, but that's not a place I want to be. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because pride and arrogance, it simply will, it, it, it waits lying in your life. Because every one of us has an inner Belshazzar. Every one of us is fighting. Pride and arrogance will fight to get a bigger influence in your life. And as you get more successful and you gain more momentum in whatever you're doing, whether that's in your family, whether that's in your, your job, or whether that's in the places you volunteer, whether that's in the church here, it doesn't matter. Wherever you start to gain influence, wherever you start to be successful, the spirit of Belshazzar rears its ugly head. And when that starts to happen and that pride and arrogance start to come up, you have a say. You can either do what Belshazzar did and you can embrace it and say, you know what, you're right, I do deserve this, I'm so great. If it wasn't for me, the church wouldn't be in this position. If it wasn't for me, the company wouldn't be in this position. I am so phenomenal. I'm so good. Have you seen how good I am? I am so good, right? If you do that, it will eventually spring forward and destroy your life. Maybe it won't happen today. Maybe it won't happen tomorrow, but it will happen. I have experienced it firsthand. There was a time in the Marine Corps when I thought that I got to where I was because of me. My squad, my squad was so good because of everything that I had done. My squad was so good because of how good of a leader I am. I mean, we won the squad comp. We were the best one in the battalion. Nobody held a candle to us. And before you know it, it's pride and arrogance sprung forward and destroyed everything that I had worked on. Destroyed everything that God had loaned me. And I looked around and I recognized that I didn't build this. I was lucky enough to be a part of it. I didn't build it. God used me as part of it. And when you begin to shift your attitude and shift your perspective to God is allowing me to be part of this, and God is, is graciously allowing me to be a, a, a part of this amazing thing he's doing, whether that's your church or your business or whatever, when you begin to shift the understanding that it's not all about you and that it could still happen without you, you'll begin to see things the way God wants you to see them. You'll begin to honor your Father in heaven. And it starts by setting out right here and paying attention and saying, pride is not going to rule my life. You start by saying, I remember who got me here. I remember how I made this here. I'm not going to sit there and say, you know, if it wasn't for me, I wouldn't have got this position at work. Sure, you had, a skill, you had skills in it. You had capabilities. You did the hard work. Absolutely. But every one of us knows that if God doesn't open that special door, you don't get it. 
And the key is, is we cannot, if you're, if you're going to be living your best life, which is the whole point of this series and what we're talking about this summer, if you want to be living your best life, then you cannot allow pride a place in your life. Because when it does, and when it does get in there, because it will, you feed it a little bit, it'll get in there. It's like those gremlins. You pour water on it, they get real big and eat you. That's what pride will do, Okay. For those of you that are old enough to remember that movie, right? That's, that's, that's what happens. And it'll grow overnight, even if you've experienced before. So we have to be on our guard and ready for it. And it starts by acknowledging right now, right here, in this place, and when you leave. And you could even say it in a prayer to get your heart right and get everything set. I'm not here because of me. I'm not here. In fact, everybody, let's say this together. I'm not here because of me. And it's so hard to hear that, and it's so hard to say it. Because we want to push back and go, well, I got me here. I did this. Yeah, maybe you had a part in it, but you weren't the whole part. Because as I remember reading, God is sovereign over all kingdoms. He's sovereign over all places, sovereign over everything. And your influence and my influence and our position and where we are is because it's on loan from God. He's giving us the ability to do it. In Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs said that pride comes before the fall. And right before you're going to fail, check and see how prideful you are. And if you're prideful, you will eventually fall. And not to mention, you don't like people like that. You don't enjoy being around those people. And you know arrogant people and prideful people. I guarantee if I gave you the microphone, you could list at least three or four, right? Not in this church. We don't have them. Somewhere else, right? But you could list them. You know them. And you probably hate working with them. And you hate being around them. And you you hate the way they talk to you. You hate the way they treat you. You hate the way they treat your family. You hate the way they act like they've always got the answers. You, you hate the way they're not a team player. You hate the way they seem to only care about themselves. You've been around those people. If you're going to be living your best life and you don't want to be those people, you've got to remember what got you here. And it was your Father in heaven, not you. So let's pray. Let's pray.